Hello, and welcome to the Church on the Hill podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to join us live this Sunday at 500 Sands Drive in San Jose, California. Visit churchonthehill.com for service times and directions, and also to learn more about connecting, growing, and serving at Church on the Hill. Now let's join lead pastor Scott Simarok as he teaches at Church on the Hill. All right, good to be with you today. You excited to be here? <clears throat> some days I, uh, I anticipate that uh, some messages might be stretching. <clears throat> I think today is one of those days that you might get stretched a little bit out of your comfort zone, and uh, it's nothing to be afraid of. It's something to be embraced, all right? <clears throat> we are getting uh, ready to kind of wrap up our Rooted series. We have uh, today <clears throat> Acts 17. So you have your Bibles open up to Acts 17. You were going to want your notes open as well and fill in some of these blanks. <clears throat> So this next week, when you go to your community group, this is your last week of the season for your community group. Um, then next Sunday, I have one final message out of the book of Acts where Paul commissions this group of people to lead the church. And next Sunday, I'm going to commission you to be a leader in this church. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. We're still on this week, all right? And then following that Sunday, so 10 days from now, we're going to have our Wednesday night end of season celebration. We've never done this before. We're going to have a party right here in this room. We're going to have dinner together. But so that you will have food to eat, you need to register. So on our website, churchonthehill.com, I want you to go on there and uh, just register if you're going to come, how many, and then if you need childcare, we'll take care of your, your little ones. Um, just make sure that you do that before the end of the day today. Let's just commit to that, all right? So that we're, we'll have a great celebration together, have dinner together, have a great time doing that. Uh, in this series, in the very first week when I started talking about Rooted, someone sent me this social media picture. It's an interesting tree, huh? After all the storms that we've had in California and looking at what it does to our coast, we get it, right? I mean, it, this tree still stands because the roots went deep. Now, in this rooted series, we're not talking about trees, right? The concept is we want to be rooted in the seven rhythms of the original church. So specifically, what are they? Let me just give them to you. Daily devotions. We want to be in God's word every day. Prayer. Repentance, meaning turning back to God. Sacrificial generosity. Serving the community. Share your story. And worship. Those are seven rhythms. If you read the book of Acts, just right there in the opening chapters, these are the seven spiritual habits, spiritual rhythms that the church had. And they had tremendous results because it, the, I mean, God was clearly powerfully among them. If those seven habits were a part of the church back then, the original church, we don't want to deviate so much from it. We want to be like the original church. And so we've just said this, we want to practice these seven rhythms and not like, hey, for these like 13 weeks, whatever we're doing for the, the Rooted series, let's do it for these 13 weeks. I know some of you are like, man, I can't wait to stop doing these things when these weeks are over. That is not what this is about. We emphasize those seven rhythms so that it actually becomes a lifestyle. So when we say, hey, let's serve, it's not so that you can go out and do a service project. It's so you can develop the lifestyle of serving other people, Right? It's not so that, hey, you can be in the Bible for 13 weeks. The, the daily devotion is about so that we can develop the habit of that because it is life-giving. So question, does rooted matter? Does being rooted 
in these seven habits matter? I'm going to ask it this way. Does the gospel of Jesus Christ matter? I think it matters for two reasons. Um, Show that picture again one more time, Dave. I think this is more than the California coast. I think this is our lives. The gospel of Jesus and being rooted matters because a storm will come in your life. It's not an if, it's just a when. And it's so funny, like in California, we talk about storms of life and we're like, yeah, storms. Like it's hypothetical, right? Because it's always 70 degrees and sunny in California. Now we get it. I mean, this last two months, last couple weeks, I mean, some of you went out, went without power for the last three days or whatever since Tuesday. We had that huge storm. There will be a storm in your life of epic proportion that is not about the wind. It's not about the rain. It might be a relationship crisis. It could be a financial crisis. It could be a a health crisis. It could be, it could just be really a doubt crisis and a faith crisis. And if we are not rooted in these habits so that it matures us and grows us deep, we might not outlast that storm. Are you with me? So the first reason why the gospel matters is this. We got to practice these rooted habits as a lifestyle. So the word anchored to the one who is our anchor, Jesus. The second is this. I believe that inside of every person, there's a craving for your life to matter. You want your life to count for something. Sometimes people get to the end of their life and they've been very, very successful in what everybody calls success. And then they go, but, but did my life really count for something? Other people, they get to the end of their life like, man, I wasn't successful at anything. And they ask this very same question. Did my life really count for anything? Why does the gospel matter? Why does it matter that we're rooted in these seven habits? I I think because of this. You don't want to get to the end of your life and just go, did it matter at all? There is power in the gospel when you share your story, your faith story, when you share Jesus' story. When you do that, There is power in the gospel to change someone else's life. And I think what all of us want is this. We want to know that we made a difference in somebody else's life. And when you're a Christ follower, I think you deeply want to know that you helped draw someone else, lots of people, to Jesus. So in the midst of this, this gospel is the power of Jesus to change people's lives. But can we be really honest? When people hear the gospel, a lot of people just go, I don't get it, I don't want it, I don't need it. There's a theologian by the name of John Stott. He's a pastor also. Here's what he says. He says, people reject the gospel, this good news of Jesus, of what it is he's done for us. They reject the gospel, not because they perceive it to be false, but because they perceive it to be trivial. They don't go, hey, I don't think it's true. They say, I just don't think it's relevant. I think it's irrelevant. I don't understand how it applies to my life. So some of you, like if you didn't grow up in the church, you didn't grow up like as from a little kid where you received Jesus, like you came to faith in Christ later on, you get this, right? That somewhere in your journey, someone talked to you about Jesus, like, yeah, Jesus, he really is the son of God. He he proved it to the world. And by the way, he loves you. He came to the world because God so loved the world and he dies on the cross after living a perfect life so that you could be forgiven. And when you first heard that story, you're like... Fairy tale. <laughs> I mean, isn't like the Christian faith, like the crutch for the weak people? Like this is what some people need because like they haven't figured out life. They're not mature enough, strong enough. And so they, they need Jesus to like give them some strength or something, right? 
Maybe that was your thought. So you get it. The truth is this. You were actually blinded. Not just to whether it was true or false, but to whether it was significant for you in your life. I mean, you ask things like, why why do I need to get saved? Saved? There's nothing wrong with me. I'm healthy. I'm good. I'm, I'm a pretty good person. Why do I need to get saved? And you were blinded to your own need to be saved. So as you share your faith story, the gospel, I'm going to tell you this, it has the power to change people's lives. And I think that is what we are actually all really hungry for. So we're going to take a look at this story in the book of Acts chapter 17, where Paul invites these people to follow Jesus. He explains the gospel to them. This is who Jesus is. This is what it means to follow him. And it's interesting because it's not his typical, hey, I went to a synagogue to this Jewish group of people. He actually goes to a totally different group of people. And so as I read the story, I want you to consider this one question. Here it is. Does the gospel matter to you? I mean, does the gospel really matter to you? So here we are, Acts chapter 17, verse 16. It states this. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. Okay, I want to ask a couple questions. Keep your eye on this text. My first question is this. What did Paul feel? While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see with the city, that, that the city was full of idols. Okay, so what did Paul feel? He felt distressed. All right, y'all paying attention. Super glad. That, that word distress, you know where that word first shows up? In the book of Exodus, right? You've, you've all seen the Prince of Egypt, right? Disney movie. They all come out of Egypt. They're in the middle of the desert. Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments. And then Moses comes down the mountain to find that the very people that God just rescued have built this golden calf and they're bowing down and worship the thing that their hands just made. And the story says this, God was jealous. It's actually the same word for distressed. So Paul, in this minute, he, he comes in and he looks around and he sees, by the way, what did Paul see? He saw, he saw the idols in the city. And so when, when God is there in Exodus and he sees all the people, he's jealous. Can I be real honest? He is angry and he is mad. He's angry at his people. Like, I just rescued you and now you're, you're walking away from me? We, in our culture, we think jealousy is bad, right? Oh, you're jealous. As if that's a put down. Oh, let me be super clear. If there's a third person that starts coming between my marriage with my wife, there's going to be some jealousy. There's going to be some anger. There very possibly could be some violence. In a holy righteous way. Not against my wife, against a person who's going to come in between us. Yeah, I'm jealous. That's a righteous jealousy. And God at that moment is mad. And Paul looks at this and he is distressed. And he's like, oh, you're all trying so hard to find God. And yet there's so many idols around. Like you don't even know the thing that you're doing. You don't even know how far you are from God. And yet how near and accessible he is. This is what he felt. He felt, come on, come on, stay with me. You got to talk back to me sometimes. He felt because he saw idols. You're with me. I love it. Now, question. We probably should clarify this because many of you are like, well, 
I don't have any idols, right? Because there's no little statue outside your house. Maybe you do have a little statue outside and you bow down to it every day or I don't, I don't know, rub the belly, I don't, whatever. An idol is this. It's a gift from God that we try to make a life-defining thing. It's a pursuit and a craving and a thing that we chase. So let me be super clear about a couple things. I don't think our idols are always physical little statues. I think they're things like this. When security is our God, when security is our God, the thing that we crave for, I just want to be secure, I just want to be safe, the idols in our life can be career, it can be our home, it can be bank accounts. When recognition is our God, I just want to be known, I just want people to recognize me, our idols can be career, friends, even being agreeable. I I, I just need to be agreeable so that people like me. If love is our God, then our idols are relationships. When pleasure is our God, our idols can be vacation, toys, and possessions. When health is our God, it's our bodies that become our idols. The point is this. These are all really good things that God has given us as gifts, as blessings. But when the good thing that God gives us, we start putting as the main thing that we pursue in life, we then have an idol. You know what we've actually done? We've taken this wild, crazy, powerful God and we try to domesticate him so that he meets our agenda, so that he does the thing that we want him to do so that we get the thing that we're craving instead of just craving him. Quick question for you. Does it make you think that maybe you have some idols in your life? Some things that you are pursuing and chasing after more than God. So question, what did Paul see? He saw idols, and Paul felt, question, do you ever feel distressed? I don't mean like, I'm anxious, I'm worried, because you're usually worried and anxious about you. Do you ever get distressed for other people? That in this valley, when you look around and you see people chasing so much stuff other than God, Does it ever bother you, hurt you, distress you, make you jealous? Like, I just know where that road leads, and that road doesn't lead to anything good. In this text, if you look at verse 17, because of what he saw and because of what he felt, he went someplace. Where did Paul go? He went to the synagogue, and he went to the marketplace. Verse 17, so he reasoned in the synagogue, both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day to those who happen to be there. Paul's like, listen, I'm so distressed. I'm going to go to the synagogue to talk to the Jews. I'm going to the marketplace. I'll talk to anybody who will listen. And what did Paul do? He reasoned with them. He shared the story of Jesus. And from a logical, historical point of view, like we know that Jesus came back to life. Let's start there and work our way backwards to do you really need Jesus? Here's why I tell you this whole series of what did Paul see? What did he feel? What did he do? My point is this. If you do not feel what Paul felt and see what Paul saw, you will never go where Paul went and do what Paul did and get the results that Paul got. 
I'm going to say that again so that that sinks in. If you do not feel the distress that Paul felt over lost people by seeing what Paul saw, the idols and the things that people pursue, you will never go to any place to try and reach people who are far from God and do the thing that Paul did to try and get the results of seeing transformed lives. But it begins right here by saying, do we really care? That's why I asked the question, does the gospel really matter to you? Because if we're not seeing and feeling what Paul felt and we're not doing the things that he was doing and you're just looking at the pastor like, pastor, yeah, you got to keep telling the story of Jesus. I'll bring him to church, but you tell them the story of Jesus, their lives will be transformed. No, 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 no. Next week we're commissioning you. You're the voice of God. You're the one who knows the scriptures. You're rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ and he will equip you and empower you to change people's lives. It ain't up to the pastor. It's up to the entire family of God to do that. In verse 22, Luke records Paul's speech. Luke's the writer of Acts, right? It's his message. This is Paul's message to the people of Athens. So if you imagine this, he, he stands up at the Areopagus, all right? And he gives this speech. Look at verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. Complimentary. For as I walk around, I look carefully at the objects of worship. I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Like that was the title on it. Like built a little statue and most of them had their, their names on it, right? And this one just says to the unknown God. He's like, man, you guys are so religious. You're like, even if there's a God out there that we think exists, that we really don't know who he is, we really want to honor him too. And so this is to the unknown God. So listen to what Paul does. He says this. So you are ignorant of the very thing that you worship. I don't think he's being insulting. He's not like, you're so ignorant. What he's saying is, you don't actually understand the God that you're worshiping. So let me explain to you the thing that you're craving, the thing that you're missing. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. So in his speech, Paul's about to answer what I'm going to consider this. Ready? The five questions that every person in the world has. These are universal questions that I think human beings crave. Here's the first one. Where did I come from? Don't, don't, don't you want to know that? Like, where did I come from? And I'm not saying like, well, I know from the book of Genesis. I mean, someone who doesn't know who God is, they've never been to church in their whole life. They want to know, like, where did I come from? So this is where he starts, verse 24. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He's kind of ridiculing their idols at this point. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life, and breath, and everything else. So Paul starts with this. You're created by God. And he's the God, and all the good things that you have in this world, they actually are gifts from him. And if that's true, if God created this world and everything in it, and all the good things that you have, he gives he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. If he does, he doesn't actually need you to build him a statue or a temple. Here's the answer. Where did I come from? You came from the God who created you and cares for you. Which means, how many good things do you have in your life that God has given you, that he's blessed you with? And there's a creator I wish I had more time to talk about that. I don't, but there's a second question. The second question is this, who am I? 
Hey, I, I don't know, I live for, some people live for 70 years and they're like, I still don't even know like, who I am or why I exist. The question, who, who am I? Verse 26. From one man, God made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. You can underline this part. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any, any one of us. So God has given people appointed times so that what would happen? So that they would seek him. I mean, what, what does that mean? Maybe God has brought so many good situations into your life <laughs> that you would actually say, God, who am I that I would get all of these good things? God, God who are you? And I would give you thanks. Mark my words, though. Most of you probably came to faith not because life was so good. You reached out to God because life got so hard. Life became painful, disruptive, and your heart was broken, and you cried out to God. God has brought appointed seasons into your life so that you might actually cry out to him. So who am I? Listen, I think the text makes it clear. You are a person who can know God personally. I'm a person who can have a personal relationship with God because of what Jesus has done. Third question, what's my purpose? Such a great question. I don't care how successful or unsuccessful you've been at life. Both people ask this question. What is my purpose? If you look at verse 28, he says this. For in him, he means in Jesus, in relationship with with Jesus, underline this. We live and move and have our being. And then he quotes these, these, these Greek poets. He says, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. The answer to his question, what's my purpose? He doesn't tell us specifically like, hey, your purpose is this. Because like your purpose, yes, we have the general same purpose to glorify God, but you want to know your specific purpose. And he doesn't give it to you. But what he says is this, let me tell you how to find your purpose in life. Here it is, you will find your life through relationship with God. Remember I told you to underline that? For in Jesus, as you have this relationship that grows in him, we live in that. We move in that. We figure out our next steps in that. That determines my direction and my approach to life. And we have our very being, your worth comes by being loved by Jesus. Fourth question. Pretty important question. Fourth question is this. What happens in the end? (laughs) What happens in the end of our lives? So if you look at verse 30, he says, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, meaning if you don't know God or respond to him. But now he commands all people Everywhere to repent. Underline that word repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he has given proof of this. Now, pause for just a moment. He says this. In the end, there's going to be this thing that happens, and it's judgment. And he's appointed someone to be the judge. And if you appointed someone to be the judge, the question is this, how do you know? Like, how do you know that's really true? He says, by the man he has appointed, and he has given proof of this to everyone 
by raising him from the dead. I talked to you a lot about the resurrection. Why? Because it was the key turning point in the history of the world that God gave us this powerful evidence. Because the 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus walked the earth, showed himself to hundreds of people. You can read this in 1 Corinthians 15. At one engagement, one event, he shows up alive to 500 people. This is after his death. If he proves that, that he wasn't just a man, and the words were, by the way, he's coming back and one day he will judge, so what happens in the end? The answer is, it's judgment. In the end of our lives, there's a judgment. And so you and I will stand before God, and we will be judged by, it's this one word, by justice. See, some Christians, when you say, oh, at the end of your life, and you're going to be judged, think like you're on trial. Well, did this person ever sin? Were they, uh, or did they live a perfect holy life? Did they do things that were wrong so that to enter into a perfect place of heaven, like we would be disqualified, right? And some Christians think this, like, would you be, at that trial, would you be declared guilty or innocent? And Christians sometimes go, oh, I'm innocent, right? I'm like, no, 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 you're not. The declaration of judgment is that you are guilty. I'm guilty. I'm guilty every day. I'm guilty in some amazing ways. I, I know some of your stories too, though, so are you. But you see, at the part of every trial, when there's a a verdict at the end of that, if there's a guilty verdict, then there's a judgment and judgment gets passed on you. And it's at that point that he judges us according to justice. God can't say, let's pretend it never happened. I know you're guilty, but we're just going to like fake it and be like, no, you're innocent. That's not justice. You have had people offend you in such a way and done such wrong, atrocious things in this world that you don't want that to just to be wiped away. Someone has to be accountable for it. Here's the key. The person who took accountability for your sins was Jesus. He didn't wipe them away. On the cross, he paid for them. Innocence does not come as a magic wand. It came through the sacrifice and the blood of Christ on the cross. Your innocence came at a price. The judgment comes about through this justice. So what happens in the end? It's judgment. But it turns out differently, this is key, for those who've received the forgiveness Jesus offers. There are people who do want to pay for their own sins, like I don't need Jesus, and unfortunately they will. Last question. If all that's true, one through four, what response should I have? Look at verse 32. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead... And by the way, there's going to be three responses that you can have. The first is this. Some of them sneered. Stupid. Ridiculous. Dumb. If your kids are in this service, I'm sorry, I just said stupid. Others said this. We want to hear you again on this subject. I mean, they said, tell us more. Because that might be you. I mean, first of all, you might sneer and be like, whatever, I don't think this is true. Or you might go, okay, listen, listen, if, if this is true, I, I, I need more info on this. Like, this is, this is pretty critical, end-of-life judgment kind of stuff. I mean, this really, really matters. Like, I got to hear more. That's an awesome place to be. Ask questions. Talk to people. Put your face in the scriptures of Acts, maybe in the book of Mark as well. 
and then ask questions of this. But that there's a third response. At that, Paul left the council, and here it is. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Remember that word repentance? I told you to underline or repent. For these Athenians, it was, I have all of these idols, and these are the things I'm pursuing in life. Repentance would be this. I don't need any of that. I'm turning away. And I'm walking into this relationship with Jesus because I believe that he paid for my sins. For us in the Silicon Valley, remember, you might not have a little statue, but you have things that you are chasing. And they're in the place of chasing God. Repentance is this. I'm going to turn away from that. I'm going to walk in this direction. And I'm going to declare today that I believe. I believe in what Paul talked about. I believe in what that pastor is saying about Jesus and his payment on the cross for my sins. And it's stepping into that relationship. That's what repentance is. So the question, what response? Uh, You can pursue your idols. You can ask more questions. Or you can start this relationship with Jesus today by saying, I believe. Um, I know that our future concerns a lot of us. And if you want to trust your security in things, like career, money, bank account, bank account is almost funny right now. I mean, it's not funny. Because you watched two banks collapse this last week, right? Scary times. You can trust in these little things for your satisfaction or security. But I guarantee you this, even if you're trusting in people who you believe, oh, they love me, they'll never fail me. At some point in life, all of that will collapse. There is one thing that will never fail you. It is the God who loved you so much that he sent his son into the world. See, because those things we produce pursue. They cannot heal us. They cannot forgive us. They can't make us right with God. They can't give us meaning and purpose. Only God can do that. But when God comes into your life, make note of this. He doesn't come into your life so that you can jump right back into pursuing all those other things. But if I'm real honest with you, and I hope you'll be honest with him today, there are moments where I think some idols creep in, where we start craving all kinds of things because we're afraid or because we're bored God does not come into your life so that he he can help you with your agenda. God comes into your life because he has a much greater agenda than you. But he wants to give you the thing that you crave. The scripture says this, when God comes into your life, he gives you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will give you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. Which one of us doesn't want that? I think the truth of Scripture is this, is um, God is giving you the life. He will give you the life that you're pursuing, that you crave, if we repent and turn to him. So this decision, I'm going to say it this way, is so personal to you. It's always a personal decision, but it's never a private decision. I know we live in this private world, like, well, this is my life, and it's, when I decide to follow Jesus, like, that's a private thing, right? I don't have to open that up to everybody else. This is just me. This is is my life, and it's private. I dare you to find a story in all of the Bible where someone's decision 
to turn away from their old life and, and become a follower of Jesus Christ was ever private. It's always personal, but it's never private. It's always this public standing up and saying, I believe. I, I believe. You know, that's what baptism is. It's the public declaration that you're a follower of Jesus. It's not just you're baptized into, hey, I belong to the whole family of God. You do, but you do it in front of your local church because you're saying to everybody else, I'm one of you and I'm with you. You can count on me and I hope I can count on you. That's what baptism is. It's this symbol of you going underwater and being, it's the death of your old life and being raised to new life. And 10 days from now at our celebration dinner, we're going to, we're going to have an opportunity for people to be baptized. And if you haven't been baptized, have that public declaration, um, do this. There's a card in front of you in the chair. I want you to write your name and contact info on it right now. Go for it. And just write baptism. And in the back, there's some boxes, put it in there. We'll get in contact with you and we'll set that up. And that'll be a great day for you. Because sometimes when you receive Christ, there are, there are moments where you're like, well, was I serious about it? Did I really mean it? I'm not sure if I am. But you will never forget that you stood in front of people and got baptized, got soaking wet, pulled up like a wet shaggy dog. And you, everyone looked at you and you're like, I'm one of you. And they looked back at you and applauded and cheered you on to say, you're one of us, we're with you. Today may be a stretching day for some of you because um, I'm going to wrap this up with, I think, an important decision. For those of you that you're not a Christian, you've never made this decision before, I'm going to give you a chance to do it today. And it, it's not to be manipulative. I'm not going to try and be emotional about this. Um, I'm not going to, like, get you riled up. I'm just going to give you the opportunity to stand up and say, I believe. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I, I feel like I've laid that out in a way that hopefully you get and you understand. And maybe you're going to say, hey, I need more information. Let's talk about this more. But for some of you, you need to say today, I'm going to become a Christian. So I'm going to give you a chance in just a minute to stand up and say, I believe. But there's another group of you in here. I, I see a lot of the same faces every week. And I'm super glad. I'm glad you're here. But I know that there's moments where idols creep in and we start chasing stuff. We start chasing people. We start chasing a dollar. We start chasing a job. We start chasing stuff. We start, let's be honest, we start chasing sin. And somehow that took the place of us pursuing Jesus. And for some of you, I've heard you in your stories over these weeks where some of you have said, this Rooted series is so good. Like, I've never done this before. I've never been so excited to come to church. I've never been so excited to, to go to my group. And what you're telling me is this, is there was something else in place of that. And now I am fully in and following. I'm going to say it this way. If today's a day to rededicate your life because you've been pursuing something else and Jesus hasn't been number one, I'm going to give you the opportunity to stand up and say, I believe. And in our church, the culture usually works this way. I say, everybody bow your heads and let's close our eyes. And, you know, if today's a day that you want to become a Christian for the first time or rededicate your life to following Christ, I'm just going to have you look at me so that it's private. Or, you know, I just, everybody eyes closed, heads down. Like, I, I just want to, I'm going to have you just stand up while everyone's looking so it's private. And I know later on we give you the chance to go public by, by baptism, right? Today, let's just do it differently. It's a little riskier. But if you need to give your life to Christ, 
for the first time or rededicate your life to him? These are the questions that people ask. Where did I come from? Where am I going? Who am I? What's my purpose? You will find it in Christ as you walk with him. Romans 10, 9 and 10 states this. You ready? Listen to this. This is what it means to become a Christian. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You know what that means in the, means in the Greek, in the original? It means this. You'll be saved. It means exactly what it says in English. You're going to enter into a relationship with God today, and in the end, when there is judgment, Jesus stands up on your behalf and says, Dad, I already paid for this one. She's with me. He's with me. And you walk into eternity with him. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith. So there's two parts of your body that matter. The first is here. It's your heart, not the physical beating one. It's the will and the desire that you have to be genuinely serious about this. You have to agree, I believe in Jesus, in who he was and who he is. So do you believe that? But the other part is this. It's your mouth. (laughs) What did it say? If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, you'll be saved. And so because of what we believe in here, that's not enough. He's not asking you to agree with him. There's plenty of, the Bible actually says this, the demons agree with Jesus, but they ain't saved. It's not about agreeing with the truth. It's about declaring, I believe and I'm all in. I'm walking with Jesus. All right, so here's what we're going to do. I just want to give you the opportunity to stand up and say, I believe. If you need to become a Christian today, or if you need to rededicate your life because you know you've been wandering. I'm going to give you the chance in just a moment to stand up and out loud. And ain't nobody closing their eyes. We're just going to do this thing. And just say, I believe. And it might be the person online who's listening, honestly. That you're in your living room. I don't care if you're sitting there with your family, your friends, your kids. If you're in your living room, you're listening right now or driving your car. Okay, don't stand up if you're driving your car but I still want you to say out loud, I believe. And we want to journey with you. I know, weird, awkward. There might not be anybody in the room that's going to take me up on this. And, you know, that's the Lord's business. It's your business. It's not mine. Um, I just need to proclaim the gospel and be faithful to that and provide opportunities for people to turn their lives to him. So I, I lay that with you. Is there anybody here this morning that simply needs to stand up and say, I believe. If so, do it now. Amen. Thank you. I got you. Thank you. Are we done? I don't want to miss it. Okay. 
three, two, one. Father, thanks for those in this room that have made a life-changing decision today. And Lord, that is not the finish line, it's the starting line, and we know that. So I pray that they would start this relationship with you today in a powerful way, that they'd be rooted in these seven habits of, that are really walking with you and knowing you, God. Lord, I pray that they would know this, they're not alone, and they don't have to be alone. So Lord, let their decision today, they've already made it public, but Lord, I pray that they would just be bold and ask for help in this journey belong to a community of people. I pray that before they walk out today, that they would share it with someone, share it with me, that today's the starting point, the day that you're going to change them and transform their life. Would you do that? The powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, church, how do we feel when people come to Christ? Let's stand together. Let's sing. Let's rejoice.